All right. So I wanted to just introduce uh, Jesse. This is Jesse Mo. Um, cool little uh, cool little story here is that Jesse and I have known each other since we were 13 years old. We went to junior high and high school together. And so we went to a small Christian school. It was the biggest one in town. But we went to Anchorage Christian School. And so my maiden name uh, is Niece. Starts with an N. And his is Mo. And so from junior high to high school, our lockers were always assigned right next to each other. And so Jesse, I would probably, you know, I thought that I was just really, you know, happy and bubbly, you know, <laughs> I would always give him a really hard time. But anyway, so just to see, I mean, and, and check this out, okay? So we, I went, I went my separate way. He, um, he's no, he's known me all through my, my, um, my previous marriage. He knows my, my two older boys. Um, and check how God works. Okay. I'm in Highland mountain. Okay. I'm doing some time. And guess who's a tutor for the math program? Jesse Moe. I hadn't seen him for like five years. And he sees me. I mean, he, he had known, you know, the, the, the choices that I had made. And, um, man, I remember seeing Jesse Moe in Highland Mountain. And he said to me uh, years later, after the fact, he's like, you look like you needed a hug. And so, you know, just to see how God has brought, you know, our, our lives in and out. And then to be able... Um, to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, like, God is so stinking good. Through the mess and the chaos and the addiction and the heart, hearts that I broke, him and his wife, Bridget, his, Bridget also went to junior high and high school, and she was one of my best friends all through junior high and high school. And, and just to see that... Um, you know, they never gave up. They never gave up. And they continue to love, love me through it. And then to see that God is completely restored. That one of my best, you know, uh, friendships growing up. So I'm very, very excited to have Jesse here preaching. And um, so I'm, I will sit and listen just like you guys. So here's Jesse. I got to move this up because Ashley's a little bit shorter than I am. Okay, quite a bit. I think about, I think about that walk that Ashley's talking about. I gave Ashley quite a bit of a hard time. We kind of uh, tease each other a little bit. But, man, there's, there's very few people who God has taught me more through than the life of Ashley. I watched as God cared and nurtured her. Man, like, I'll be really honest. There was times where I really didn't think she was going to come back. And I remember telling my wife that, and I was just like, man, I just, I just feel like, um, I don't know, I just, I feel like maybe this is it. And man, like, God loves to prove me wrong. Like, as soon as you give up on someone, like, God's like, no, no, they are totally redeemable. 
and God like lifted Ashley up and really, um, man, has just ministered to so many through her life. Before we get started, um, I'm going to get out from behind the podium for just a moment, and then I promise I'll get right back behind it. I wanted to address all of you guys tonight because as I was coming here, I was thinking about each of you. Obviously, I don't know your names. I don't know your story. But I was thinking about you. And I was thinking about... I was thinking about just the situation we're in right now. And it reminded me. Okay, sorry. Thanks, Ashley. Now imagine that every day at junior high, I mean, she would... So as I was driving here, I was thinking about each of you. And I was just thinking about, like, man, what it is we're doing here tonight. You guys allow me to come and speak, and I really appreciate that. I recognize I'm a guest here. This is your place. This is where you sleep. This is where you eat. And I'm, I'm just passing through. And it really reminded me of the story of Jesus as he entered into a pool or near a pool at Bethsaida, or Bethesda, I believe. And it was Sabbath, that means it was Saturday, just like today is Saturday. And there was people laying down, and there was people on cots and beds, there was people who were paralyzed, there was people who were suffering and struggling, and they came to that pool for hope. So desperately, they wanted to see the waters move. They wanted to see the Holy Spirit move so that they might be healed. So that they might be made well. And I just think about the parallels where we're at. And we are in a center dedicated in the name of hope. And so tonight, as we open up God's Word, as we listen at the Holy Spirit-powered Word of God, My hope is that you have eyes to see and ears to hear. Jesus went to that pool and there was there were so many there. There were so many people suffering and struggling. And he was the Savior. He is our Savior. He had the ability to heal every one of them. But not everyone was willing. Not everyone was wanting. So Jesus asked this lame man, he says, do you want to be made well? And the man quickly explained, like, oh, I, I do, but this is my story, and this is, this is why I can't. And he had all these reasons why he couldn't be made well. But Jesus just asked him, do you want to be? So we're all coming here tonight. We've got our own stories. We've got our own past, our own background, our own things they are struggling with, their own things that we're suffering with. And man, I'm not going to pretend that I can make any one of you better. But I know the one I can. And so tonight, I'm going to open in a word of prayer, but I just want, as I'm praying, I just want you to just really be genuine with that question. Like, answer it to yourself. I just want you to think, do you want to be made well? And we all are struggling. Do you 
do want to be made well. So let's pray. Father, we come to you and we just acknowledge, like, Lord, without you, man, we have no hope. Man, we, we are destined to just repeat our past mistakes, our suffering. Lord, without you, we cannot be made well. And so, Lord, like I said, I, I don't know anyone here tonight. I know Ashley. I know a few that come to church on, on Sunday. But so few, Lord. But I know that you know every single person here. And so, Lord, I just pray, Lord, for the person that's here tonight, who's got ears to hear, and that desires to be made well, that desires to be free, that desires hope. And so, Lord, I just pray as we open up your word, Lord, that you will guide uh, my words, and we will just speak the truth. That it won't be my opinion, Lord, that it won't be um, something funny or humorous or maybe it won't even be that interesting. But Lord, I just pray that it will be true and Lord, that it will be sharp. So Lord, even if we built up walls and a hard heart over the years, that Lord, that the word will pierce that hardness of heart and, and just go to the very depths of our heart. Even the hardest heart in this room, the person right now that says, I'm not going to listen to this guy. Even that person right now, like the, the, the Holy Spirit would minister to you and soften your heart so that he might do a work in it tonight. Lord, this is what we ask from you. And we pray this in the most beautiful name we know. In Jesus' name. Well, uh, man, I, I do thank you for the opportunity to be here. Tonight, we're going to talk about something that um, it's not always, not always fun to talk about. Actually, it's not a very fun topic, and that's not really my personality. My personality is, man, I like to be really optimistic. If you're coming to me and you've got something going on in your life, man, I want to I show you the brighter side. I want to be really optimistic. I want to give you a smile. But tonight, we're going to talk about something that's not so light. And I'm just going to ask you to hold on. Because like, like when I say this, like what we're going to discuss tonight, you might be like, want to immediately tone me out or tune me out. You might want to be like, man, like I don't have any time or capacity to hear that right now. But tonight, we're going to talk about suffering. Specifically, waiting on the Lord in the midst of suffering. So before you check out, please don't. Please don't. I just want to draw your attention to two realities in regards to suffering. The first is this. The presence of our greatest sorrow precedes our greatest insight of the gospel. A lot of words, big words. The presence of our greatest sorrow. That means the thing that hurts us the most, the thing that causes us the most pain, the thing that we cannot talk about, cannot even think about. 
The thing that causes our greatest sorrow is what precedes our greatest need and understanding for the gospel, the good news. Man, the greater hurt we have, man, the gospel becomes that much greater. Meaning that because of the work that Jesus Christ has done, we will not end our time tonight here talking about despair. That means the gospel, the work that Christ has done for me, for you, for all of us here, is so good that even the the most hardest, challenging time in your life, the time you do not want to think about, we can point to and we can say, man, Jesus is so good. Man, the work that he did on the cross is so complete that I can look at that time and recognize that it's even then God was working. The ultimate work of the cross is not suffering, but rather it's our greatest hope and joy because we have a hope that surpasses all sorrow. Okay, the second reality in terms of suffering is this. We learn very little from times of blessing, but rather the greatest opportunity for learning comes at the price of trial and tribulation. What does that mean? It means when everything's going right, we actually, don't, we actually don't learn quite a lot about ourselves. Man, like people from all different walks, all different faiths, all different cultures, all different race, all different genders. Man, people with all different backgrounds. When the times are good, they kind of all approach it similarly. But when there's suffering introduced, when there's challenges, when there's tribulations, And it really reveals your faith, your character, your morals, your philosophies. All of these things are put on display when we see in the light of suffering. It's through affliction and suffering we see an individual's character. So, what do we do with that? What do we do with this concept of suffering? Like, we don't want to talk about it, honestly. We don't like hearing about it. Maybe you're listening right now and you're like, I don't even want to hear about this. Because I'm a pastor, you know we're going to talk about God. What do we do with our suffering? Do we bring it to God? I hope so. But one of the most honest and raw questions we can ask in terms of suffering is, how is it that God can allow so much suffering? I imagine like most everyone in this room has asked herself that question. Even when we cry out to him in prayer and we want to know, Lord, where are you? We're suffering here. And like even, even atheists and people that don't believe in God, they look at this argument. This is the argument that they use to try to um, dispute that God exists. They say, man, God cannot be all powerful. And he cannot be all good at the same time because of suffering. Because if God is all powerful, then he would do something about all of our suffering, all of the hurt that's in this world. And if he can do something and he's refusing to, then the atheist or agnostic would argue that then he can't be good. Because surely if God was good, he would, be, he would do something. He would stop all the hurt in this world, all the unjust pain. 
That's a real argument. Man, like that's a real raw question that we have to address. We can't ignore that. And there's some clear flaws in that logic. Let me just be really clear. Um, we don't get to define God. That's what makes him God. We don't even get to define what good is. I mean, think about that. We would be poor judges of what is good. My definition of good would vary from your definition of good. Only God defines what is good. But still, the hurt and the emotion is there when we say, like, God, like, how can you allow this? If all of creation was made by your word, then how do you not speak to the pain that we're struggling in? And like we don't have we we don't have all the answers. And when we don't, we blame God because he doesn't abide by our will. I just want to tell you that if you open this book right here, in it are countless countless times evidence evidences that God cares for the suffering of his people. God cares for the suffering of his people. Man, we can, we, in, when we're in our emotion, we can believe, we can think that, man, God doesn't care about me. Man, there's countless times where we can read in this book that God cares for the suffering of his people. It's God who declares in Exodus 3, 7, he says, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. Or how about the comforting word that comes from knowing at one point God declared in Judges 10.16. He says, man, he could bear Israel's misery no more. These were his people. Even though they were rebellious people, they were rebellious people. God was moved for his love for them. Yesterday evening, I was driving with my family, and I saw the most beautiful rainbow in the sky. And it just reminded me of God's promises. I always think about that, his promises. The promises that God spoke and that he revealed in John, Revelations 21.4. He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Man, we have a great hope for that future. That one day, God, God dis, is so displeased with suffering that one day there will be no more suffering. It's over. George MacDonald said it this way. No words can express how much our world owes to sorrow. Most of the Psalms were conceived in a wilderness. Most of the New Testament was written a prison. The greatest words of God's scriptures have all passed through great trials. Their greatest prophets have learned in suffering what they wrote in their books. So take comfort, afflicted Christian. When our God is to make use of a person, he allows them to go through the crucible of fire. This is good news. That means that we're not alone in our struggles. We're not alone in our suffering. 
Man, all of this book is written by men and women who have endured much pain, much sorrow, much suffering, and God was not content to leave them in their current status. He cared about their suffering. God is very aware of the suffering of his people. He actually cares so much about our suffering. But he doesn't just care. He doesn't just observe our suffering. It's something he actually experienced. God doesn't just look down from heaven and say, oh man, they're suffering again. Man, suffering is something that he knows. Like Christ came down on earth as a man. He was a man of sorrow and grief. And when we think of suffering in light of God's word, our eyes have to shift to Jesus. We have to look at the Son of God, and we have to recognize him for what he was. It says in Isaiah 53, man, like, he was going to suffer. He was going to be afflicted. He was going to be bruised for our iniquities. That's the promise that Jesus was given if he came to earth. And he did come into earth. Isaiah 53.3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus is well acquainted with suffering. From the beginning of his life to the end, there was persecution all around Jesus. There was constant suffering. There was constant trial. He continually waited on his heavenly father to intervene in the midst of the suffering around him. His people, the Israelites, they were an occupied people. I mean, think about that. This Jesus is the king of all kings coming to earth. He comes to earth. He is um, given gifts by these wise men, anointed, recognized as the king, as God's son. And he comes to, for God's people. And God's people are in a land that's occupied by rulers, Romans. And Jesus didn't see fit to free them from that. But he, he had to be around that all the time. He had to bear witness to the cruelty that the Romans would treat the Jews with. He, he faced political pressure, religious pressure from the Pharisees and the scribes and the governors. They were constantly trying to threaten him, kill him, arrest him. Jesus was constantly around the sick. Everywhere he went, there was sick and needy. There was demon-possessed people. His whole ministry was just around being amidst those that were struggling and facing suffering. He never intended to escape from that reality. He submitted his whole life to his father's will, which is like the prophet Isaiah continues to say in verse 7, that he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This is how Jesus approached suffering. There's a humility there. There's an understanding that he's not fighting the suffering. He's not trying to get out of it necessarily. He recognizes, man, I came to earth because I knew I was going to suffer here. I mean, do you ever think about that? You ever just think about like, man, how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus like keep that in perspective when like these people that he came down to save are ridiculing him, persecuting him? The people that like God's people were the ones that were like yelling at him 
crucify him. Jesus had the ability to call down like legions of angels. Like that would have been really hard. Like, I mean, he had like the ability to call down legions of angels to intervene and say, like, man, that's it. That's enough. No more suffering. And like, I mean, just like a lightning bolt could be like smoke right there. And that person who was like blaspheming Jesus could just be gone. That's not what Jesus did. He knew that in in order to glorify the Father, he had to, had to enter into suffering. That's a, I don't know about you, but that's actually kind of scary. So Jesus, in order to glorify the Father in heaven, he had to enter into suffering. If that's God's son, and, the, and like, in order for him to glorify the Father, he had to enter into suffering. Like, man, like, what does that say about us? Like, we don't get to just run away from suffering. In fact, the opposite was very true. Jesus, he knew it was not time for him to be led to the cross several times in ministry. So he chose not to reveal himself completely, not allowing himself to be persecuted at every given instance. And the reason why that's important is because it's like, man, if we're not careful, we'll think the only way I can glorify God is to suffer. So I'm going to go out there and find a whole bunch of ways to suffer for the Lord. And Lord, I just hope you're keeping track of this. Like, no, that's, let me just be really clear. That's not what God's calling us to do. Jesus didn't seek out suffering. He, he knew that that was God's will, and so he obeyed it. There's a big difference between obeying God and saying, God, what you call me to do, I'm going to do, and going out there and trying to say, man, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suffer for your name, Lord. I'm going to, like, find, like, the worst situation, the worst trouble, the worst thing, and, man, I'm just going to subject myself to it for your namesake. Well, that's, that's bold of you if you choose to do that. But, like, man, like, Jesus only did what his father told him to do. And so his father told him, like, man, if you go to earth, like when you go to earth, you're going to suffer. So Jesus went and he was willing to suffer. And he suffered and he suffered and he suffered. It's not something that we seek out, though. Let's be clear about that. Suffering is not something that we need to seek out. However, if we follow Christ, we must come to the understanding that suffering is something that cannot be avoided. It cannot Hudson Taylor said this, Carrying the cross does not mean following in Jesus' footsteps. And in his footsteps are rejection. I want to say that again because I might have said that wrong. Carrying the cross does mean following in Jesus' footsteps. And in his footsteps, in Jesus' footsteps, are rejection, brokenheartedness, persecution, death. There are not two Christs. An easygoing one for the easygoing Christians and a suffering one for the really exceptional believers. There's only one Christ, and are we willing to follow his lead? This is powerful word. This is really important because a healthy understanding and view of suffering helps us understand, is it something that we are to avoid or something that we need to press into to endure? There's a difference. When we try to avoid suffering, man, like we become really bitter when we can't avoid it. We become really angry when someone is causing us suffering. But when we understand, like, man, like we need to endure. Like that Jesus says, man, like if they, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. 
if Jesus did not run away from suffering, then, man, like that tells us as his servants, man, like we are going to, there's going to be times where we have to be obedient and enter into suffering as well. So, if we're not allowed to escape suffering, if we know that if we follow Christ, we're going to experience suffering, how do we bear it? And how do we, I mean, like being like real, like how do we bear it when we feel it's unbearable? All right, you ready for this really deep theological equation that Jesus gives us and outlines for us for suffering? Here it is. The secret to bearing suffering. Pray. If you're like me, you're like, okay, great. I've prayed. Five minutes later, you're like, but I'm still suffering. Now what? And it's like, man, like Jesus says, like, man, like, pray. Pray. And like, he's not joking when he says that. Like, he's serious. He's like, man, like, man, like, the only way you're going to endure is not by your strength, but it's by the Father's. So we need to pray. We need to enter into prayer. James 5.13, it's really straightforward. It says, if anyone is among you is suffering, let them pray. I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like there should be more to that. Like, man, I just wish there was like some, yeah, yeah, pray. But maybe if you, maybe it's not just prayer. Maybe like it's prayer of a righteous person. So I know I'll go and be really righteous. Lord, I need you to intervene in this area. I'm struggling. I'm suffering. I'm hurting. I'm in pain. I need healing. And we think, well, maybe God didn't hear our prayer because I'm just not righteous enough. So then we think, okay, so I'll do a whole bunch of righteousy things. I'll do these good things. Then maybe God will hear my prayer. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say clean yourself up and then pray. It doesn't say do good works and then pray. It just says pray. That's really hard. It's really hard. We, we recognize how helpless we are after we've prayed and we put it in God's hands and we say, Lord, like, I've done that. I've asked you to remove this hurt, but I'm still here. And man, like, some of us have, like, really tough pasts. Like, suffering is not just something like a physical pain. It's an emotional circumstance, something that's happened that we can't erase. And it's affecting us. It's affecting us going forward and we're struggling. And we pray like, Lord, like help me with this. Like you said I can ask you for anything. And we ask and we don't see him show up. And you're wondering, God, do you even care? You guys ever wonder that? You ever pray to God and you say, God, do you even care? I'm hurting, Father. Do you even care? That's so honest and raw and real. Man, like when Jesus was in the garden, he's praying to the Father. He's like, Lord, if there's any way that I can avoid this suffering. And he's weeping, like he's sweating blood and he's weeping and he's praying. He's like, Lord, if there's any way that I can avoid this, please make a way. prayed and he prayed and God did not grant his request because Jesus had to come to suffer 
So if you're here like right now and you're hearing all this talk about suffering, I probably said suffering the word like probably like 40 times already. And you're like, man, enough with that word. I'm just like, I get goosebumps or I don't even want to hear it anymore. But you got that in your head. You hear that in your thoughts and you're like, man, like I've felt that way before that like I just sometimes I just don't believe that God hears my prayers. Sometimes I just feel like, God, you're not even listening. Or that even if he does listen, that he's not actually going to do something about your situation, about your suffering. I just want to tell you, like I said, I don't know all your names. I wish I did. But like, man, just hear these words. These are really, these are treasures. Hold on to them. God cares for you. He cares about your suffering. He cares about your hurt. And he hears you more than he hears. He knows. He knows the depths of your heart. He knows what's grieving you. He knows that thing that, like, man, like, it's keeping you from him. He knows it. And he cares. First Peter 4, 12 through 13 and 19 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We are called to wait on the Lord in our suffering. So that we also, so that, like this is really important, so that we also might rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That's really hard to see in our waiting and in our hurting. It's really hard to believe that all of our pain is not meaningless. That it's actually serving a purpose. That it's actually being used for God's glory. You're thinking, how can that be for God's glory? How can he be glorified in that? That detestable thing. That wicked, evil thing. How could that be used for his glory? But it is. It's being used for his glory. To glorify the Father. Because every single hurt, every single suffering will one day be gone forever. And God will be glorified even in the worst of our, of our pain in our life. He will be glorified. It's not about our good works. It's about the good work of God and the work that he's doing in the midst of our suffering. One of the biggest lies in the Christian world we can uh, hear today, it's the lie that if we're just good enough, if we're just good enough or humble enough, if we're just kind enough, then good things will come our way. See, the reason why that is put out there, it's this lie because it's like, man, your suffering is a result of you. And sometimes, like, our suffering is a result of our actions. But, like, man, like, that, that message that if you just do good things, then you'll be done with the suffering. Well, like, suffering isn't for our, it's not for our purpose. It's for God's glory. Sometimes we just cannot understand that. How can a loved one that we cared so deeply for 
How can that be for God's glory? How can he be glorified in something so tragic? I wish I had like a really great answer, but this is where I just have to plead with you to trust in God and his ways that are so much higher and so much better than our ways. God does not delight in our suffering, but he often does use it to reveal his glory. So tonight we're going to look at Jesus. We're going to look at a family that's very close to Jesus. One that he dearly loved. Jesus dearly loved them, and they experienced suffering through death, but faced it for the glory of God. So as I read from John 11, and if you have Bibles, please turn them to John 11, chapter 11. I want you to listen for these three words in the story. Love, death, and glory. We're going to hear them a lot, often. So if you have your Bible, please turn to Luke chapter 11. Not Luke, John. I don't know why I said Luke. Sorry. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. So, like, this is really key. Like, I'm just going to stop right there. It's so key. Like, man, like, we were introduced to Lazarus's sickness. So Lazarus himself is in pain. And the, the two sisters, Mary and Martha, they send this message to Jesus. And they remind him. They remind Jesus that, Jesus, you love him. Jesus, like, you love Lazarus. You said so last time you were here. You love him. They're reminding him of his love for Lazarus. They said, but he's super sick right now. He is not doing well. In fact, he's going to die without you. They were reminding Jesus of his love. They were saying, without you, he will perish. And it says, when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. See, Jesus He sees, like, he sees exactly what this is going to be used for. Jesus is able actually to perceive this scenario of suffering. He knows Mary's heart. He cares deeply for Mary. He knows Martha's heart. He cares deeply for her. He loves Lazarus. They said it. He said it. He loves them. But he says this illness will not lead to death. In fact, it's actually not going to be used for the purpose of death at all. It will be used for the purpose of glorifying God. So we're like, oh, that's okay. Like, wow, did he just get healed then? Or like, how did, what happened there? So we go on to the next verse. And it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. There it is again. He loved them. We're all on the same page. He loved them. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let's go to Judea again. I don't know about you, but I'm like, wait a second. That verse 4 there says he loved him. He loved Mary. He loved Martha. He loved Lazarus. 
So he decided to wait two more days while, while Lazarus was ill, while Mary and Martha were worried that their brother was going to die. I don't know about you, but to me that doesn't sound very loving. It's kind of like, it's interesting that he's saying he loved them. Okay, but then he waited two days. So there's something there. There's something that just doesn't make sense. When you call upon a doctor and he's like, oh man, it sounds like you're in really terrible condition. I'll schedule you sometime in a couple months. Man, like you don't feel like that. He really cares for you. When you go to Jesus and you're like, Jesus, like, let me just remind you here how much you, you said you love us. And because of your love for us, like, I'm asking for your help here. And so Jesus says, oh, I do love them. I do love Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So I'm going to wait two days. That is perplexing. There has to be a reason. And I think if we continue, we will find it. So, verse 5. I'm going to, verse 6, I read. We're going to skip, just for time's sake. We're going to go all the way to verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, so Jesus says, I'm going to, let's go to Judea. Somewhere in those verses that we skipped, it says, your brother Lazarus, our brother Lazarus has fallen asleep. And the disciples are like, oh, he's fine then. If he's just going to fall asleep, he'll wake up. He's good. But it says in verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Now just imagine that. They send this message out to Jesus. Jesus, please come, be urgent. My brother's dying. I know you care for him. I know you care for our hearts. I hate watching my brother die. Four days later, or Jesus has been, uh, Jesus gets there and he's been dead for four days. And so Martha comes out to Jesus and he says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I mean, that sounds like the right response. The first one sounds a little like blame. I don't know how you hear it, but like I hear that and it's like, Man, I told you to come quickly. Jesus, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And then she kind of backpedals a little bit and she goes, but, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. And so like, I mean, Jesus says the exact words that you think she'd want to hear. And she kind of misses it. Jesus says to her, verse 23, your brother will rise again. I mean, all right. Let's go. I mean, that's, that should be enough. Like, I mean, put a punctuation mark on that. Let's go get him. Man, that's like the perfect statement. That, that's exactly what I want to hear from Jesus. Even now, you, I believe that anything that you ask the Father, he'll do for you. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. But that's not what Martha's response was. Martha says to him, I know. I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Like, she's thinking, yeah, I know, like, we're all going to rise again, like, in the end, in Revelations, like, it's like you promised, like, we're all going to rise again, I get it, but I was hoping that you'd save my brother here and now, and so Jesus is like, okay, Jesus says to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, 
You don't have to wait for the resurrection. I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's what he asks her. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the son of God who's coming into this world. So she's saying, again, she's kind of saying all the right things, but you kind of get the vibe that Martha doesn't quite believe it. She asked Jesus. She says that, man, you could do anything. Jesus says he's going to resurrect. She says, I know in the resurrection, we'll all resurrect. He says, I'm the resurrection. She's like, I know. And he says, do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I do believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. And when she'd said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher's here and he's calling for you. And when Mary heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, there was a whole bunch of Jews around Mary and Martha, and they were just mourning. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, they were consoling her, and they saw Mary rise and quickly go out, they followed her. They thought that supposing that she was going to go to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also, they were weeping. He was deeply moved in the spirit and greatly troubled. And Jesus, he's troubled. And he says, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, I can't skip over that verse. Jesus wept. I mean, like, that's really key here. Like, Jesus actually cared about their suffering. He's watching all these people that he loves weep. And so he also weeps. So the Jews said, wow, see how he loved him? But some of them said, well, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man, also have kept this man from dying? They questioned Jesus' love or his power. If he really loved him, though, wouldn't he have healed him? I mean, why did he wait those days? What's, what's happening here? Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time, there's going to be an odor. It's going to stink. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? This is a really big, big verse, key theme in this, in this whole picture here. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this in account of the people standing around, that they might believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is an incredible story. I mean, it's incredible for a wide array of reasons. I mean, anytime someone who's been dead comes to life, it's pretty incredible. But it's incredible how Jesus heals him, how Jesus brings him back. 
how Jesus weeps. Like, why weep? Why does Jesus weep if he's just going to restore him? He could say, like, man, we don't need to weep because there's good news coming. But he actually weeps. And like it says, he was like, he was deeply moved and troubled. The main point of this whole message today in this scripture here is this is, this is true love, what Jesus is doing. It's hard to see. It really is hard to see. The aim of love is to bring people to the fullest knowledge and the fullest enjoyment of the glory of God, even if it amounts to suffering. Jesus didn't just let Lazarus die for this. Jesus himself died with this in mind. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Jesus put his life on the cross so that he might endure suffering, so that God might be glorified, so that we might recognize God's work. Jesus prayed that on the other side of his death, his redeemed people would see his glory. I desire that they also, when you have given me, may be with him where I am to see my glory. That's John 17, 24. I just want to end with this last exhortation. Between the death of Lazarus and his resurrection four days later, his family could not see how God would be glorified in it. They had no clue. They, they did not. Even after, um, even right before he's about to heal, when Jesus is weeping, they could not have imagined that all of their sorrow, their grieving, their mourning was going to amount to God being glorified in that way. Therefore, if that's where you are today, some of us in this room, and I, like the reason, like the reason I felt like the Lord led me to this is because, like there's there's currently some suffering in my life. It's it's not me personally. It's someone that I love so dear, and I'm watching them suffer. And it's really hard to watch someone suffer. You feel so helpless. And I pray and I say, Lord, I want to see you here. You say I can ask you anything in your name, and it will be made done. But like, I've done that, and I'm not seeing healing for this person that I love so dearly. And I'm, I'm just in that same place where Mary and Martha were. They're waiting. They're waiting for the resurrection. They're waiting to see the glory, like how this is going to be used to produce glory for God. And they don't know. They have no idea. So that's you today. If you're here tonight, and you're like, man, I've been praying and I don't feel like God's been hearing. I've been suffering. And I don't, I don't even know if I believe that I can be made well again. I've been struggling. And I'm losing my hope. I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you. Man, that there is, like, there is a work being done in it. That even in your suffering, even when you feel so helpless and hopeless, God is doing a work in it. It's both for your understanding and for his glory. God is doing more than you could ever know. And finally, one day, 
in the resurrection, when Christ comes back, when he makes all things right, and we hold such fast to this promise that God made that one day there will be no more suffering. And we can hold on to that strong and firmly. That is a really good news when we don't see the light. We hold on to that, man, Jesus, I trust you. Even when I don't see it, I'm going to trust you because I know that you're producing a good work for your glory. I just wanted to read these few verses of comfort because this ministered to me, so I wanted to share them with you. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Christ will strengthen you in your suffering. He who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 2 Corinthians 1.4 2 Corinthians 4.17 For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. More than we could ever imagine. Romans 8.18 For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let's pray. Father, I feel that there is a solemnness in this word tonight. It's not something we can shout for joy and declare like boldly. It's something like that has caused us much pain, great affliction, many hours of sleep, many doubts, many fears. But Lord, these are good words that you have given to us. That you care about those who are suffering. And even, Lord, when we don't see it, even when we don't know, how could this be used for your glory? Lord, we can hold on to your word that you are true and you are faithful and you are just and you are good. So for every soul in this room, Lord, all of us, we are going to face suffering. We cannot protect ourselves from suffering. We are going to enter into it. And so, Lord, I pray for every person in this room tonight, Lord, that in the midst of suffering, whether that's now, in the past, or in the future, Lord, I pray that they will turn their eyes completely to you. That they will rest completely on your strength, not their own. Lord, there is no hope in our strength. Our only hope is in the work that you have done on the cross. Because you, Jesus, you who were born in suffering and to much grief, you became um, the, the suffering servant on our behalf. You were punished for our iniquities. You experienced suffering when you did not deserve it. But you conquered death so that one day, that we could all hold to this promise that one day there will be no more suffering. And so, Lord, I pray for any person, any woman in this room right now, any man that's listening, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that if they're struggling right now, Lord, I just pray for freedom in their heart. Lord, that they might feel like, man, that there's, like, maybe there's been a wall 
Between them and you, Lord, maybe they've resented you. Maybe they felt abandoned like Job, like you didn't care, you don't listen. Lord, maybe they doubted your power. Maybe they doubt your existence. Lord, whatever it is, Lord, I pray right now that that wall will crumble down, that it will fall and be broken down. Lord, that you will give them a faith that is not of their own. Lord, that they might know, that they might believe and know that you are good and that you are faithful and all your promises come true. Lord, even in the midst of suffering, Lord, that you are doing a good work in it. And so, Lord, I pray that this isn't just something that someone stands up here and says on a Saturday night. Lord, I pray that this become an echo in our heart and in our mind, that we believe, Lord, that we believe that you are doing a work in us and we trust you. Can't do it on our own. And so, Lord, I just ask for help. Help us believe. I want to believe, Lord. I want to believe. Help my unbelief. And so, Father, we trust you in this work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.